0: We need God's Word in our hearts. Not only read it, we need to study it and understand it so it is close to our hearts and we're able to answer the tough questions that our kids have about faith and about the culture around them. Well, hello and welcome to our second installment of Parenting in a Post-Christian Culture where we're discussing six practical parenting disciplines to help us lead our children well, help them come to faith, to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, to stay in the faith, to grow in their faith, and then make disciples. Last week, we learned about the important principle of praying for our family. And today... We're going to look at the principle of studying. And what do we mean by study? We mean studying God's words, His commands, the Bible. As we talked last week, there's an important passage in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. There's two phrases in there that I want us to focus on for today's session. Shall be on your heart, and shall teach them diligently to your sons. And this is why study is so important. Because if we are commanded by God to teach them diligently to our children, we have to know what the them are. What are the them in that passage? He's talking about the commands, the teachings of the Lord, God's word. And so if that is what we're supposed to be teaching our kids diligently, well, then they must be on our heart, which was also referenced in verse 6. We need God's word in our hearts. Not only read it, we need to study it and understand it. So it is close to our hearts and we're able to answer the tough questions that our kids have about faith and about the culture around them. God also wants us to handle his word carefully and accurately, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. And there is a great example of a group of people, a group of believers in the New Testament, that handled God's word carefully and accurately when they heard things that were being taught. In Acts 17, Paul and Silas were traveling to this town called Berea. And this is what they said in Acts 17 verses 10 through 11 about the people that they met there at Berea. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So what made these guys so special at Berea? What made the Bereans noble-minded? Well, for one... They were eager to hear God's word, and they were eager to hear teachings and grow in their faith. How did they do that well? How did they carefully handle God's word? Everything that they heard, they put it to the test with the scriptures. Said that they examined the scriptures daily to see whether the things that they were hearing were true. If it stacked up against what God's word actually said. And that's how we have to live our lives. If we can be more like the Bereans, handle God's Word carefully and accurately, look at God's Word to see whether the things that you're hearing, or maybe even the things that you're thinking, are true. But we need to understand where the Bible's coming from. The Bible is not just one book. It's 66 books. And not all books are the same. We don't read them the same because they're different pieces of literature. They're different literary genres. And what I mean by that is some books are books of law. Some books are history. Some are wisdom and poetry. Some are books of prophecy. The four Gospels are Gospel accounts, and so they are historical accounts. But they're focused on the Gospel message of Jesus Christ and Jesus's life. And then we also have letters, letters that were written by someone to someone specifically. So we read those differently. We also have to understand that there's a dual authorship that happens in Scripture. God is the ultimate and divine author. In the Bible, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And some translations say, God breathed because that's what the original Greek word means, theonustos. Theo coming from theos, God, noustos meaning spirit or breath. God breathed His Scripture into existence. It's His words, but He also used human authors to physically write down these words, so it's in a language that the people can understand. So through the power of God's inspiration through the power of the Holy Spirit, God used various human authors to make his message known. And this happened over a period of 2,000 years, and it was written in three different languages. Most of the Old Testament is written originally in Hebrew, with exception to a few passages and, and some books that were written in Aramaic. And the New Testament is written in Greek. Now, there are common approaches to interpreting the Bible. And many of us, at one time or another, we naturally go to one of these approaches. One approach, the intuitional approach, is I'm going to go off of my intuition. I'm going to go off of what feels right. This is what this passage means to me. And although you could be correct in some situations, that is not a way to interpret Scripture. Because we should not submit scripture, God's word, which has an original intent, we shouldn't subject that to our own emotions and feelings. We could happen to be right in some instances, but there's the chance that we could also be wrong. Another approach that people may use, and I've used this myself, deferring. This is when we may not know what a scripture says, so what does someone else think? Or maybe our first reaction when we come across a passage is to hear what someone else has to say about it. This can be a good thing. We can learn a lot from other people, and there are a lot of smart people out there that do hours and hours of study on a certain topic or, or passage of Scripture. So it's not wrong to defer to someone, but if that's the way we study Scripture every time, we're really looking for someone else's opinion instead of trying to look at Scripture, and let God's Word shine through. Another approach, and I believe this to be the more proper approach, is the hermeneutical approach. What did the author originally intend? And how do we understand it today? If God's Word is timeless, and it is our roadmap for life, then the theological principles throughout Scripture should apply for us today as well. Let's go through these six steps of the hermeneutical process. The first step is you need to discover the background of the book. And what I mean by that is to consider the who, what, where, when, and why of the book you are reading. What is the literary style or the genre of the book? If you found a passage that's in Ephesians, well, Ephesians is a letter that helps you understand that Ephesians is a letter, so there is a writer of the letter, an author, and they're going to be sending that letter to someone else. So you have to discover who is the author, who wrote it, to whom is it written, do we know the time frame or where it's taking place? You may not know that information up front, but those are questions to consider. So that's all a part of understanding a little bit of the background of the book that you're reading. Step two is make a detailed observation of the text. And I suggest printing out the text or handwriting it out, giving plenty of space. Some people don't like to mark up their Bibles, and that's fine. But on a separate piece of paper, just mark it up and look for specific things in that passage. Look for a repetition of words. Look for words that repeat themselves or phrases that are repeated in the passage. Look for any contrasts in the text. Look for ideas, individuals, or items that are contrasted with each other. Look for differences. You also want to look for comparisons. Look for ideas, or individuals, or items that are compared with each other. Look for some similarities. You also want to make note if there's a list of anything. Take notice of potential cause and effects. There may be. You also want to look out for figures of speech. Look for expressions that convey an image or use words in a sentence other than the literal sense. A big thing to look for is conjunctions, because that will also help us with our next step. Conjunctions are basically words like therefore, and, or but, or for. Conjunctions are used to connect sentences and different thoughts. And so if we see a therefore, we want to know what it's there for. And you also want to pay close attention to the verbs. You want to make note if a verb is past tense, is it present tense, or is it a future tense verb. And we also want to look for imperative verbs. And imperative verbs are verbs that are a command. For example, in the passage that we just read, you shall teach these things. And another important observation to make are to look at the pronouns. I tell you this. Well, who is the I referring to? Step three is is look at the immediate context. We can make a lot of observations, and we can learn a lot about observing the text in step two. However, we can also miss the bigger picture if we're not considering the verses before or the verses after. So what do the verses before say? What do the verses after say? Are they connected in some way? Read the whole chapter through, not just one or two verses. Read the whole chapter To see what the whole chapter is about. Is there a continuous flow of thought throughout the book? You might notice, in one chapter, it starts off with a therefore or an or, so you know it's connecting back to something else. Trace your way back as far as it goes to find out what is this continuous flow of thought, because I may only be seeing a small portion of what the author's really trying to say. We may be missing the big picture. In step four, you want to try to define the theological principle. Given the context that you just learned, what is the text really trying to say? Or what is the author really trying to argue? Is there a theological principle that's being said? And then you want to consider, is that principle, is it a timeless principle? Or is that principle for a specific period of time? Is that principle for everyone? Or is that principle for a particular person or culture? When you're reading the context, or reading the whole chapter, and even the whole book, you can usually answer those questions. And step five, once you have a good idea of what you think that theological principle is, this is an important step. You want to compare the principle with the rest of Scripture. You want to think, are there any other passages of Scripture that either agree or disagree with the principle that I think is saying here? And you want to consider both the Old and New Testament. Maybe you're working through a principle that you found in the New Testament. Well, what does the Old Testament say about that subject? You can get online, and sometimes I even use Google, and I'll say, what does the Bible say about fill-in-the-blank? And you can see Old Testament passages and New Testament passages that fit within that. And that's just helpful to get me started on where else in the Bible as this principle talked about. The final step, step six, of the hermeneutical process is to apply the principle to a situation or issue for today. If you have compared that principle to the rest of Scripture, and you can tell the Old Testament and the New Testament, they agree that this is what God is really trying to communicate. Then you need to think about, how do I live this principle out today? What does this mean for me right now in today's context. You can think of probably a specific situation or an issue in which that principle might be applied. So that is the six step process of the hermeneutical approach. I have some slides available that go into more detail about those and show you some examples, but I just wanted to give you an overview of what those six steps look like. And if you want a practice sheet on how to work through those things, I can provide that for you, too. Just send me an email at ryan at ibcbenton.com. I want to leave you with one more note. I did mention before that there are some online and some apps that will help you uh, study the Word. And I just want to mention three. They work with whether you're on a tight budget or maybe you want to invest some money. These are some good resources to help you. So the first one is Logos. Logos Logos.com. Logos is a Bible software And it's something that you can download um, on your computer, or they have an app available as well. They have a free version, a starter kit, that will give you the basic things that you need. Study Bibles, some commentaries, and even if you want to dive into some of the Greek languages and stuff, they have resources for free. But they also have a lot of resources that you can buy individually, or you can buy a package to just grow your personal Bible study library. So I highly recommend Logos Bible software, and you can find that at logos.com. Another helpful tool is biblestudytools.com. They also have some free resources. They are available for free, but they also have a plus version that you can pay for where you can get additional tools with their plus subscription. Another resource is the Blue Letter Bible blueletterbible.org. It's completely free. It has a lot of resources. Many of them are in public domain now, and so they are older resources, but they're still good information. All of these resources that I mentioned, Logos, Bible Study Tools, Blue Letter Bible, they're all great resources, and it's something to get you started so you don't have to invest in a lot of physical books, And you can have it around with you in your pocket because each one of them also have a mobile app for Android or Apple. So I want to encourage you to use those. I use Logos heavily, but all these other resources are also helpful too. I hope this class has been a helpful resource for you. And I'm praying that as you study God's Word, you will allow Him to speak to your life to help you grow in your relationship with Him. Because as a parent, it's important that you know God's Word, and understand it well so you can teach these things to your kids. God bless you, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit IBC benton.com. That's I-B-C-B-E-N-T-O-N.com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513.